Today's message is called Time for Judgment. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 17. It says, For it is a time for judgment to begin with the family of God. Everybody say, Time for Judgment. I want you to look at your neighbor and say, It's time for judgment. It says, For it is time for judgment to begin with who? With who? The family of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? Why is it people today are trying to convince us, whether it be in churches or on the streets, that people are trying to convince us that God is not upset with our sin? Why are people trying to convince us that there's nothing wrong? When Peter, one of the closest apostles to Jesus, says that judgment will begin with the house of God, and if it starts with us, what is going to happen to the people who don't believe the gospel? Now listen to him quote a prophet from the Old Testament. Listen to him quote what he says. It is hard, or if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? If it's hard for you to get up in the morning and come to church, if it's hard for you to go through your life loving God, if it's hard for you to put God first in your life, what do you think is going to happen to the sinner? If it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Verse 19, So then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful Creator and continue to do good. We've been told so many times by different churches that God just loves everybody and just everybody's going to get forgiven either here on earth or in heaven, that there's really not a hell. And that's not what Peter's talking about. Peter's saying not only is there a hell and unrighteous people are going there, it's even going to be hard for the Christian to get there. It says it's hard for the righteous to be saved. It says if you're suffering, doing righteous, continue to do good. Commit yourself to your Creator, because it won't be easy. Look with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 11. Somebody say, time for judgment. I wish I could say it's time for money, and time for new clothes, and it's time for Christmas, and it's time for all of these other things. But it's not. The Bible says it's time for judgment, and you want to know what's going on in our country right now. It's judgment. When the governor of our state gets exposed for corruption, it's judgment. When our leaders have their churches closing down because they've committed adultery, it's time for judgment. When denominations have accepted evil behavior, it's time for judgment. When Christians all across this city watch TV more than they pray and read their Bible. It's time for judgment. When people pay more attention to Oprah Winfrey than to Peter, Paul, and James, they pay more attention to Larry King and Leno and all of these other things. It's time for judgment. God, have mercy on us, is my prayer. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. If you're there, say, I'm there. It says, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. 
Are we not living in those terrible times? I mean, look how terrible it is. Our young people murder each other. We've had over 400 murders in the city of Chicago. Chicago is the murder capital of America. It's terrible. The Bible says people will be lovers of themselves. You ever see how much people love each other? Or rather, love themselves? What they do for themselves? People will be... Lovers of money, it goes hand in hand. People will want their nose fixes. They want to get a plastic surgery. People want a new car, a new house. Some people are giving just to get during Christmas. They want to give just for themselves to get something back in return or to look good. People love themselves in our culture. It's a society of selfishness. Go to your bookstore. Look at how many books there are for self-help. Look at how many Christian books are out there. Love yourself. Love yourself. Take care of yourself. Believe in yourself. All of this about yourself. People in America, people today just love themselves. They just love themselves. The Bible says there will be terrible times. People will love themselves. Abortion is loving themselves. There's been over 30 million abortions because women love themselves. Rather have their cute little body than raise a child so they'll murder it. 30 million times it's happened because our culture loves itself. People will love themselves. Lovers of money. They'll be boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents. When was the last time you even saw a sitcom on TV that even showed a respectful family? When was the last time you even saw something in our media that reflected a family? You can't even find it. This is the image that, that, that we have in our children's minds. It's okay to disrespect your family. It's okay to disrespect your teachers. Rebellion. Ungrateful. Everybody say ungrateful. There will be so many people in America these next few weeks that will be so ungrateful. They won't receive this gift. They won't get this. They'll be so ungrateful. Listen to me, my friends. I owe you nothing. You owe me nothing except to love each other. Amen. That's it. You owe me nothing. Give me nothing except your love and your prayers, and that's all we need. You want to give your children a Christmas present? Tell them your rent and food is paid for for the next year. Merry Christmas. Amen. If they don't appreciate it, they're ungrateful. A pastor told me one time he was celebrating Christmas by giving gifts to his children. The child began to cry and began to have a problem with the gift. He took them in the back and spanked them. And after he spanked them, he said, you are ungrateful. I will never let you be raised that way. Some children will need some spankings this Christmas because of their ungrateful hearts. And it's up to parents to make that decision. Adults can become ungrateful, unholy. Without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited. I could spend all day just talking about each one of these things. It's time for judgment. The Bible said in the last days these things would come. The Bible said that these things would be here, and here they are. Look at the last thing, conceited lovers of pleasure, rather lovers of God. People rather go home, watch their football game than to pray in church. People rather have their, their, their little snacks and their little food than to fast. People rather just go out, you know, doing whatever they do than to serve God because why? They love pleasure rather than God. You see, people don't understand that most of the time they're God haters. They can say, I have a cross around my neck. I attend church. They can even say, I attend Metro Praise. But most of the time, people are God-haters. God is looking for a people that love God, love Him more than they love themselves. Look at that. Lovers of pleasure 
rather than lovers of God. You ask somebody that's having sex, they're not married. The Bible calls that a sin. They love their pleasure rather than God. They'll keep doing it. Oh, no, it feels good. It's okay with me. Why? Because they love pleasure more than they love God. Now look at this. Verse 5, having a form of godliness but denying its power. Bible says have nothing to do with them. Everybody say a time for judgment. God put this word on my heart as I was talking to Pastor Amit from India, the church that we have that's in India right now. And I was sharing with them that God has been grieving my heart but what's been going on in the church because it doesn't seem like there's anybody talking about it. I, I see these big mega stars and churches falling in sin and nobody gets on the TV and says we need to repent and ask for forgiveness. I don't see it or hear it. In the local city right here, I see people leave our churches with, with terrible attitudes in rebellion and they go to other churches and nobody, nobody has a problem. They can, they can go on doing what they do. My wife and I, are so sick and tired of people using the name of Christ for an excuse for their evil behavior. And it grieves us. And I said to the Lord, and I was praying this week, and I was going to talk to Pastor Amin, and I was like, Lord, what's going on? And the Lord says that judgment is coming to the house of God. And I was sharing it with Pastor Amit. And I was saying, Pastor Amit, judgment is happening in our churches. And I don't even think people are aware of it. They think we're the crazy ones. They think we're the ones that are nuts. Because we're not the ones singing peace and safety. It's all okay. We're the ones that are crazy because we're ringing the alarm. And I felt, as I was talking to Pastor Amit, that I should share some of these things with you today. That grieves my heart. That breaks my heart as a pastor. So that you here today will be responsible for what you do. So that you will be a Christian that pleases God. That you will live for Christ a life that is worthy of the death He gave for you. As the old preacher once said, is what you're living for worth Christ dying for needs to be something you ask yourself every day. What am I living for? Am I living for the things Christ died for? Or am I living for myself? Am I living for my selfishness? Christ has asked the church to be here as His representative to this earth. We are supposed to represent Jesus Christ. What's wrong with the church today? This is what's wrong. This is why I'm sharing it with you. And judgment is here and we need to change. Somebody needs to stand in the gap and begin to say, God, forgive us. Lord, change us. I I can't come to church after my governor got indicted and act like that doesn't affect me. How can we live in a nation, in a city with so much sin, and yet our governor claims to be a Christian like everybody else does? We need to repent. I I don't understand it. Where's the voice of the prophets? Where's the voice of the church? There used to be a time when the church had authority upon this earth. There used to be a time when the church would speak and the kings would tremble. John Knox, 
during the time when there was a wicked queen of England. She was killing Christians. She was committing treason. John Knox, one man, began to pray, began to pray that his nation would change. Uh, England began to lose wars. Things began to happen. John Knox said these were answers to his prayer because God was bringing judgment. Queen Elizabeth began to say, I fear more of the prayers of John Knox than I do the invading armies against us. There used to be a time in America where politicians, before they would ever even speak, they would say a scripture and they would say something attributive to God. And the ability they have is from God. And they do the office with a fear from God. Read read the speeches. Read the, uh, the emancipation by, by, uh, by Abraham Lincoln. The proclamation of emancipation. Read it. Read, read what our forefathers used to do. They used to have prayer meetings before they would judge and rule over our land. The church has lost its voice. I want to tell you four things we've lost and why I believe God is judging us. You can write them down and we're going to go through them. Number one, I believe we've lost integrity. Number two, I believe we've lacked discipleship. Number three, I believe we've forgotten about the Word. And number four, we don't know how to sacrifice anymore. These four things I'm going to talk to you today about. A lack of integrity from the pulpit to the pew. I want to talk to you today about a lack of discipleship that no one wants to be taught the Word. And that no one, third, wants to hear the Word of God. And lastly, no one wants to lay down their life for Jesus Christ. It's a Jimmy generation. And what I mean by that, their name is Jimmy and they'll take all you can give me. I want you to turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Somebody say, lack of integrity. Every Christian here is supposed to have integrity. If you do not have integrity, you are not a Christian. Stop lying to yourself and stop giving us a bad name. If you do not keep your word, if you do not live holy, if you do not follow the commands of Jesus Christ, you are a liar, a child of the devil, and you need to proclaim that's what you are, not a Christian. You are not a Christian. Stop lying to yourself. If you lack integrity, integrity is who you are when no one else is looking. It's what you do. When no nobody pays attention to you, what do you do in the secret place? What do you think about? Who are you on the inside? Look at First Timothy chapter 3. It says, here's a trustworthy saying, verse 1, If anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, he desires a noble task. Now the overseer must be above reproach. That means you can't look at an elder, a leader in the church of God, and you cannot find something that is wrong with them when it comes to the Bible and sin. You're supposed to judge me. You wouldn't let somebody with drugs and cigarettes in their mouth come and babysit your child. You would judge them. Judging is not wrong, my friends. Your employer judges you before he pays you. The, the, the teachers judge children in school and give them grades. You are supposed to judge and make sure your pastors and leaders are living right. And your pastors and leaders are to make sure you're living right. You're supposed to be above reproach. Bible says a leader is supposed to be above reproach, the husband of but one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. 
He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and to the devil's trap. This is a trustworthy saying for everybody who wants to be a leader and to be an example as a Christian. Now look at deacons. This is anybody who wants to help and serve. Deacons likewise are to be men worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested, and if there's nothing against them, then they serve as deacons. In the same ways, their wives are to be women worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate, trustworthy in everything. A deacon must be the husband of but one wife and must manage his children his household well those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in christ jesus integrity starts with the leadership in this church we have elders i am an elder ish is an elder ricky and rachel are elders adolfo and griselda are elders then we have deacons and we are to rule like this we are to live like this this is how it starts are you all listening to me this is how the Church is supposed to be. We are to live integrity. With integrity, we are to live holy. We are to live pure. We are to set the example for you. Now look at what you're supposed to do. Turn with me to First Peter. Just a message for all Christians. Rather, Second Peter. Second Peter, chapter one, verse three. Here's a message for all Christians. Hallelujah. Look at verse 5. We don't have time to read it all, but look at verse 5 of Second Peter chapter 1. He says, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. Everybody's supposed to be good. And to goodness, knowledge. Everybody's supposed to be growing in knowledge. And to knowledge, self-control. Everybody's to be growing in self-control. Self-control, perseverance. Everybody is supposed to be committed to the work of God. Add perseverance, godliness. Everybody's to live like God. That's what it means to be godly. Brotherly kindness. We're supposed to be kind to one another. And to brotherly kindness, love. Look at verse Verse 8, if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know how many people don't have these in their life and they're ineffective? They're unproductive, but not here in Jesus' name. Verse 9, it says, but if anyone does not have them, so if people do not live by these things, he is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he's been cleansed from his past sins. Do not live a nearsighted and blind Christian life. Live a holy Christian life. Live a godly Christian life. Live a godly, self-controlled, Holy Ghost-filled Christian life. Leaders live a life of integrity. Everybody here leading a life of godliness and goodness and knowledge and self-control and perseverance and brotherly kindness and love. It's not hard to understand, people. It's time to live like we're saved. It's time to act like we're saved. The number one problem that I believe Jesus Christ is judging our churches, He's judging this land, is because there is no integrity. From the government, to the church, to the people on the sidewalk, people lie. People steal. People don't have any control. People are not godly. People are not honest. People are not selfless. They are selfish. This is the problem with our, our, our church and our country right here. Now turn with me to Romans chapter 2, verse 23. Somebody say, give us integrity. This is your warning to the church. 
Our messages go across the world. We have a webcast. We have sermons that are downloaded. You here today, I don't know how this will impact you, but I pray that every person here will hear what God is saying and get ready for what is happening in our culture and don't be a part of it. When you see pastors falling, you see governors falling, you need to pray for them and check your heart and say, God, let it not be me. Check my heart, Jesus. Is there anything impure in me? Lord, I want to live holy. I want to live right. I want to be godly. I want to be good. I want to be holy. I want to be like Jesus. I want to represent you. How am I doing today, God? Judge me, Jesus. Hallelujah. Judge me here on this earth before I'm judged in heaven, God. That's my prayer. Look at Romans chapter 2, verse 23. If you're there, say, I'm there. Look at what Paul told these people. You brag about the law, but do you dishonor God by breaking the law? You know how people say, well, I'm a Christian. I know what I'm supposed to do, but they brag about it, but they don't really live it. They're actually breaking it. Look at verse 24. Look what Paul says about them. As it is written... God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Gentiles are non-believers. The Bible says that non-believers mock God's church, mock the Lord Himself because of how quote-unquote Christians live. It says, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. People mock our pastors. People mock our churches. The media hates what Christianity represents. And who do they always bring up? They bring up the televangelist who got caught stealing. They bring up the Christian co-worker that's next to them that cusses them out and then says they're going to church on Sunday. They talk about how much they hate God because of the lifestyle of supposed Christians. God's name is drugged through the mud because of what people do in His name. And i got some things to say when we get to the Word, but let me just give you a taste of it right here. You see, because the pastors do not teach the people how to act, both the pastors and the people are living a pseudo-Christian life. It's a fake wannabe Christian life. And since nobody knows how to act right, the world sees the only representation of Christianity being a gross misrepresentation of who He is. And so the world looks at it and says, if that's Christianity, I don't want it. If that's what the pulpit is and what preaching is, I don't want to listen to it. If this is what it is, I don't want it. And so literally, it's a trick of the devil to damn men's souls to hell. Because if he can make the truth look like a lie, then he can tell a lie and make it look like the truth. See, some of y'all didn't get that. I'm going to say it again. If he can have over here some peddling, pimping pastor and some backslidden wannabe Christian be the example, be the majority of a Christian church, then the rest of the world will say, I don't want that. And in turn, they just rejected Jesus. See, the devil just got people to hate Jesus. It would be like me bringing you over to my house saying, hey, have you ever had this Italian dish and, and like polenta? And you say, no, I've never had polenta. And I give it to you and there's roaches in it and it's nasty. And you look at it and you say to yourself, if that's polenta, I don't want it. And maybe a few weeks later, somebody else says to you, hey, do you want polenta? And you're like, heck no, I don't want that stuff. That stuff's nasty. Why? Because somebody showed it to you the wrong way. 
it, it scars you in your minds. Your, your psyche now can only see the negative of it. And so because the church is living like this, because there's churches on every corner that have no power, have no message, have no purity, have no integrity, because of that, then the world just looks at us and says, I don't want it. Lack of integrity. Somebody say, bring integrity, Jesus. Now look at number two, lack of discipleship. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 28. People just don't want to live right and call themselves Christians. I don't understand how hard it is. If you don't want to be a Christian, just don't be one. But don't live like the world and call yourself a Christian. Amen? If you see anybody living the wrong life, just tell them, say, look, you're not living right. You see them at work cussing and all that, and they say they're a Christian. Say, look, you are not a Christian. They say, who are you to judge me? A real Christian is judging you. Hello, if I was on a basketball court and I couldn't make a layup and Michael Jordan was there and he showed me how to make a layup, if I was so stupid to say to him, who are you to judge me on making layups? He would say, I'm Michael Jordan, fool. I make layups for a living. Somebody says to you, well, who are you to judge me? I'm a real Christian, baby. Look at me. I came to live this thing. I came to do it right. Now, some of y'all can't do that because you don't live right. But if you live right, you'll say, this is how you do it. Let me show you how to live like a Christian. Let me show you how to turn off internet pornography. Let me show you how to not cheat on your wife. Let me show you how to live with integrity and goodness and godliness. Let me teach you how to love people and respect people. Let me teach you how to be selfless and be a giver in life. If you can't say that as a Christian, you're not a Christian. Jesus said Christians are supposed to be the light of the world. Hello, somebody. We're supposed to be the ones people look at and say, that's my example. I was talking to my wife the other day about things we went through when we were engaged, you know. Because it's so popular these days for people to have sex before they're married. Now, we believe in forgiveness. Everybody can be forgiven. But it's so popular, you know. People have babies outside of marriage and all this. And I, and I was saying to my wife, you know, after we remained pure, we did it all the right way. You know, no one came up to me on the marriage day and just patted me on the back and say, boy, I'm proud of you. You didn't have sex before marriage. See, nobody even came up to me and complimented me. And I said to her, I said, you know, those are the type of things that you do when nobody's looking. And it's only for one person. It's just for God. Because I could have done what some people did. I could have just had sex and just said, oopsie. God, forgive me. I'm sorry for doing it. Y'all forgive me because you've probably done it too. I could have just done that, right? Well, we all sin. Come on. But I said to my wife, I said, you know what? That was special between God and us because we made a covenant with Him. That our relationship would always be pure. We built it on holiness. You see, there are some things that you're going to do in life that no one's going to come next to you and pat you on the back and say, oh, you're such a good Christian. You're such a super-duper spiritual Christian. But between you and God, it's going to mean something. Because He's looking for people who love Him and love His commands. If you believe it, say amen. Now let's look to discipleship. Matthew chapter 28, verse 16. If you're there, say, I'm there. 
Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw Him there, they worshipped Him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Where do we miss it? He says it. Go and make disciples. It is my job. Hallelujah. Come on, somebody listen to this preacher up here. It is my job to teach you to obey everything he commanded you. It's my job. It is your job as a Christian to teach other Christians to obey everything God commanded. The second thing I see lacking in the body of Christ today is a heart for discipleship. People don't want to be taught to obey. People don't want to be taught to obey. You know what people want? I'll tell you what people want because I'm a pastor and I see it all the time. People just want to come to church on a Sunday, have that little religious itch that they have. You know, you know, I, I kind of believe in God and I feel like I need to do something about it. So I'll just show up today. And they just want to kind of come and just scratch it and feel better. You know, and you got to scratch and you got to scratch it and you feel better. You're like, come on, scratch it for me. You know, you feel better. And then that's all they want. And they say, oh, I feel better now. I'm going to leave and do whatever I've been doing and come back the next week and scratch that little scra- religious scratch again that little itch and then and then we want to talk to them and we want to get into your life and we say look we actually want to disciple you and then all the religion and all the garbage comes up out of people's hearts come on some of you were like that some of you are like that come on let's be honest oh you want to disciple me oh oh i don't feel comfortable with that who are you to disciple me no i'm fine i've already been discipled that's great. Well, let's get discipled again. Oh, oh, what does that mean? You're going to come to my house? Oh, no, 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 no. I just come to the church. You don't come to my house. That's invading now. That's, that's making me feel uncomfortable. Oh, you're going to ask me if I prayed? Oh, I don't know. That makes me feel uncomfortable. You ask me if I prayed. You see, when people start to have, have other disciples in, in their lives, they begin to get uncomfortable. But Jesus said... Go into all the world and make disciples. My number one job, not just as a pastor, but as a Christian, is to make disciples. How did these disciples live with Jesus? They, first of all, they lived with Him. They spent three and a half years with Him. They left their families. They left their jobs. Most of us wouldn't even be able to even be a real disciple of Jesus. Come on. The moment he would say, leave our job, we wouldn't have faith to believe he could provide for us. Jesus told these 11 disciples after they ate with him, they spent time with him after he got up in their business, after he spent all this time with them, he said, now you guys go out and do the same. Now I want to show you something here today because so many people have heard it in the Bible, especially if you've been in in our church services, you've heard about all the discipleship that is found in the Bible. The book of Acts is all about disciples making disciples. But I thought today I would inform you a little bit and bless you with the education that I'm getting from seminary. And I would teach you some names of church fathers who actually believed in discipleship and taught it in their letters. You see, John the Apostle was the last of these original apostles to live. He died around 90 A.D. 
We live in 2008. How did the Christian church make it from 90 AD to 2008? You know how it made it? Through disciples. This man named Ignatius. Everybody say Ignatius. Ignatius was a disciple of John. He was one of John's disciples. Look at what he writes. Just listen to me as I read it. This is what he writes to the people of Ephesus. He says, It is therefore befitting that you should in every way glorify Jesus Christ. How many believe we should glorify Jesus Christ? Who has glorified you? That by a unanimous obedience you may be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment and may all speak the same thing concerning the same thing. And now listen. And that ye, being subject to the bishop and the presbytery, you may all be sanctified. Oh my goodness. That sounds like he's talking like he's a Catholic or something. Call them bishops and presbyters. Do you know what? Before the Catholic Church ever came around, this is what it was like, people. The Catholic Church is actually a bad imitation of this. The bishop was the senior governing elder. The presbytery was the elders together. So in our church, I would be considered the bishop, and the presbytery would be us, the elders, ruling over the congregation. The Bible says that you, or the, the church father is quoting the Bible, he says that you should be submitted to them, therefore being sanctified. You know what it means to be sanctified? It means to get all that junk out of your life. This church father was saying, hey, I learned a message from John. This is what John the disciple taught me. We need to submit to bishops and presbyters. We're not some loosey-goosey organization here where, hey, if you don't like it, you go to the next one, you go to... No, 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 no. You only get one. You don't have 20. I would love to see what Paul would say to Timothy. If Timothy came up to Paul and said, Hey, I don't feel like you're a good leader anymore. I, I want to go over here with somebody else. I, I wonder what that would be like. But listen, in our American culture, this is where your toes are going to get stepped on, some of you, by the way, so get ready. This is where in our American culture we think to ourselves, oh, I come to a church, this church blesses me, it brings me to the Lord, especially, you know, a church that's really ministered to you, and then something happens, it offends you, and then what you do is you're just going to hop and go to another church? No. Let me, let me tell you what this brother said about that. He said, he therefore that separates himself from such, that means if you separate yourself from these bishops and presbyters and does not meet in the society where sacrifices are done, in the assembly of sacrifices where they're offered with the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven, you are a wolf in sheep's clothing while he presents a mild outward appearance. He says, those who separate themselves from their bishop, from their presbyters. They don't come to the church where God and His praises are made and the sacrifices are made. He says, they are wolves in sheep's clothing. Don't look at this. Though they look mild on the outside. They look so humble, don't they? That's why if you came to this church and you left your other church in a bad way, you got to go back there and make it right. We don't promote rebellion here. There was a time when some brothers were coming to our church and a, and a pastor called me up and he said, oh, these brothers didn't leave my church right. 
These, these brothers offended me by what they did. And some of them are here, and if they want to talk about it, they can. I talked to those brothers and I said, listen, this other pastor says he has something against you. You go back to him on the day of his service. You humble yourself to him. And you say, whatever I have to do to make it right, I'll make it right right now. Submit yourself to him. You know why? Because this church will not be guilty of that slander and that rebellion and that schism and that separation and that division. We believe in one holy church. And we believe if God brought you to this church, you respect the leadership here. You respect us as pastors and elders and leaders. And if you leave here, if you happen to leave, you leave with grace and dignity and respect. You don't leave as some wolf in sheep's clothing acting like you're so humble. Well, I just got my feelings hurt. Well, I just don't agree with it. I'm just so humble. No, you're a lying, ravenous wolf on the inside. He says, but... Beloved, be careful to be subject to your bishop and the presbytery and to the deacons. For he that is subject to these is obedient to Christ. You see, it's not us. We're doing it for God. Who has appointed them? It was Christ. But he that is disobedient to these is disobedient to Christ Jesus. And he that obeyeth not and believeth not, the Son shall not see, but the wrath of God abides on him. Look at how quickly he makes this correlation. He said, the pastors are speaking for Christ, and everybody would probably say, amen. I mean, he does read the Bible. He does talk about God quite a bit. So look at the correlation this brother makes right here. He says, well, if they speak for Christ, that means if you're rejecting what they're saying, then you're rejecting what God's saying. Unless they're a bad pastor, a bad elder, unless they're an idiot, a fool, or a liar. Hello, somebody. Are you all with me? And then he says, well... If you rejected Christ's words, you would be in trouble. And he makes a correlation. If you reject their words, you're in trouble. Now, I'm saying to you, if my word ever comes outside of this, then to hell with it. Amen? And I'm not here to make it hard or difficult. Have I said anything that's hard or difficult? Have I said anything that's confusing where somebody might look at the word and go, well, I kind of translate that differently. Judgment will begin with the house of God. I don't know if that really what that if that means the house of God. Hello, somebody. I don't know if lovers of themselves and selfishness really means that. Is anybody confused here? No, if you're not, say amen. I want you to turn with me to Second Timothy. Your pastor's not mad. He just loves you a whole bunch. I'm just here to help us out. I'm trying to tell you why judgment is coming to the house of God. You know why? Because we got people hopping around churches and pastors not having any respect or authority. And this whole thing's a mess. You got the pastors living ungodly lives. You got people living ungodly lives. And you got gossip in the pulpit. You got gossip in the pew. You got disorder. You got slander. You got lack of integrity. And the whole thing's a mess. You know where it all starts to get corrected? Discipleship. You know who disciples your pastor, my pastor, since I've been in Bible college? That's who disciples me. Am I telling the truth, Dad? He's discipled me since I've been there, right? I've only had one pastor. That's it. Yeah, I've had a lot of different Christians in my life, but I only got one spiritual father. One person that I'm accountable to. God brought him into my life. Been in my life for ten years. He knows me. We're here to do that for you. And it's not out of judgment in a negative sense. It's in judgment in a good sense so you can be sanctified. Because let me just tell you this before we read this scripture right here. Right now we live in this culture. 
that comes from the philosophy of egalitarianism. And that means that everybody is equal. Egual is the French word, I'm probably mispronouncing it, for equal. We live in a society of egalitarianism where everybody believes they're equal. Well, who's the pastor to tell me what to do? He's just a pastor. And I know our police officer will agree. Oh, who's the police officer to tell me? He's just a person anyway. I mean, who's he? And then, you know, who's the person over here to tell me what to do in school or wherever? We're always challenging everybody. We always think we know more than everybody. That's the culture we live in. So when we come to church, we say, ah, you know, that guy just has his opinion. I have my opinion. Hey, we're both, both people. Hey, let's just both go about our separate ways. No. The Bible doesn't say here everybody who comes into the church gets to make an opinion, gets to define doctrine. The Bible says the ones preaching and teaching like myself and the elders and praying, there ought to be a godly life. They got to be tested. They got to be approved. They have to be sound faith. They have to study. So people act like that when it's convenient, but listen. They'll question the doctor when they're giving the diagnosis, but well, listen, when they're getting the operation, they don't take their buddy and say, hey, why don't you operate on me? Right? They'll go to their buddy and say, oh, man, the doctor told me I had cancer. And then, the, and then their buddy will be like, oh, man, I don't think you have cancer. I thought it was just a stomachache. And they'll have all this whole discussion and act like they know just as much. But, but you can tell it really doesn't come down. They really don't live the egalitarian lifestyle. Because when it comes down to the surgery, guess what? They don't have their little buddy do the surgery then. Yes, you and your family can sit down and discuss the word. Praise God for that. It's freedom. It's America. Yes, you can have your opinion. But when it comes down to the church, you need to submit yourself to somebody. And you need to let somebody do what they're called to do. And it's not going to hurt you. It's only going to help you. Am I telling the truth? Can you say amen? Come on, look at First Timothy. If you're there, say I'm there. Turn to First Timothy chapter 1. I don't even got to talk very long on it. Just listen to the Bible. The Bible says it all over the place. The whole entire Bible is about discipleship. Just look at chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our Lord. So Paul's a man, you know. People always say, well, you're just a man like me. Well, that's right. I'm not a Martian and I'm not a fish or a dog, okay? Yeah, I'm a man. And that's how God uses people. I mean, when I go to the, uh, when I go to the doctor, I'm not expecting a fish or a dog or an angel to be there either. It's a man, okay? And when I get my hair cut, I'm expecting to get my hair cut by a man. God uses the people in the church to rule the church. Are you listening to me? If he starts having angels preach and lead the church, I'll be the first one to sit down, okay? When the angel Gabriel comes and wants to preach Sunday morning, he ascends here on the pulpit. I'll say, yes, Angel Gabriel, you may preach to us. I will sit down. But until then, he uses people like Paul who are called and have a command. I have a command. Now look what he says to Timothy. Timothy, my true son in the faith. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. So he's saying, Timothy, you're my son. See, he had an age difference with him as well. And he was saying, you're my son and not only just in the natural, but like in the spiritual sense. He says, like, you're not just like an age to be my son, but in the faith I'm teaching you like a father. Now look at verse 3. Look what he says to Timothy. Timothy, I urged you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus, so that you may command certain men not to teach false doctrines. See, remember Jesus said, teaching everything I've commanded you. See, Paul's been commanded. See, look at the word command in verse 1. You all see, you're going to learn the Bible. It's pretty simple. Right here, watch. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the, who, come on, by the command. Somebody read your Bible with me. By Jesus Christ, by the command of 
God. Who commanded him? Okay, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the command of God. One more time. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by what? Now, what does he say in verse 3? I urge you when I went to Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus, so that you may command certain men, thank you, not to teach false doctrines any longer, nor devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. These promote controversies rather than God's work, which is by faith. So what does Paul say? Hey, I've been commanded by God to do something. Hey, man, I've been commanded by God. Timothy, I'm going to command you to do something. Now, this is the command. Tell these guys to stop doing all this. Okay? So then Timothy goes over to them. Hey, on the command of Jesus to, to Tim, on the command of Jesus to Paul, to me, to you, don't do that. See how it works? Jesus commands Paul. Paul commands Timothy. Timothy commands the people of his church. It's not hard, is it? Who does it start with? God. God calls a pastor. God calls a leader. That happens to be Paul. Then Paul has other leaders underneath him. That's Timothy. Then Timothy has these people that he's responsible for. He's commanding them. Does that sound like Matthew chapter 28 to you? Going to all the world, teaching everybody to obey what God commanded? Does that sound right? Who's commanding you and who are you obeying? obeying? See, that's the challenge right there. You might say, well, I only listen to the Word of God alone. Well, Timothy could have said that back to, back to Paul. Hey, Paul, you know what? I'm not going to command them anything because, you know, this is not the Word of God. I need to see it in the Bible. And at that time, all they had was the Old Testament. So Timothy could have been like, look, Paul, you're just a man like me. You know, I'm not going to command them what you're telling me to command them to do because you're just a man. It's not the Bible. No, but somewhere along the line, Timothy had to trust Paul. And he had to trust Paul that Paul actually was commanded by God to give him things to command, that there was a line of authority coming down, and that he had to trust Paul and go, okay, is Paul a good guy? Does Paul love the Lord? Is he doing good things for God? Okay, well then I'll trust him that he's hearing from God, so I'll listen. You see, somewhere along the line, we forgot about all that. And now, what, what is church to us? Just a bunch of people. Just a little storefront. No respect. Oh, that's that young pastor guy. Oh, that's this Rachel. I don't have to listen to them. We are here to give the commands of God. Now, if I say to you, hey, you want to go snowboarding with me this Monday on my day off? How many know that's not a command? Okay. If I said to you, hey, I really like this type of food. I'm going to eat here for lunch. Do you want to come? How many know that's not a command? But how many know when I'm preaching up here and I say we ought to be people of integrity, that's a command? How many know when I'm preaching up here and I say we all ought to be disciples? How many know that's a command? How many know in our small groups, whether it's Carrasco or on Tuesdays with the Latino ministry or Fridays with the youth group or Sunday night with the uh, crossover ministry or one-on-one discipleship, when someone's showing you a word that says it's good for you to pray, how many know that's a command? How many know when they're beginning to teach you it's good for you not to be a liar, an adulterer, a thief, but it's good for you to live holy and fit with the Holy Ghost, how many know that that is those are commands? When is the church going to look like the church? Until that point comes, we're going to continue to be judged by God, and that's why Metro Praise has to be different because I don't want to be judged by God. I don't want one of my leaders getting exposed for homosexuality. You know why? Because I want to be discipling them. And you better be sure that I'm not going to be uh, be exposed for homosexuality, lying, stealing, cheating. You know why? Because I have somebody discipling me. 
It's all about God's truth being handed down from generation to generation, being accurately and, and respectably handed down. It's like we're an army, people, and you don't just get out of the ranks and say, I don't need that general. I'm going to switch to the other side, okay? That's like treason, okay? You don't leave the United States military and go, hey, I didn't get along with my drill instructor. I think I'm going to go join Al-Qaeda, okay? That's not cool. You don't do that. Amen? You don't come to a church that's here to teach you, here to disciple you, and then just leave with your, you know, your nose up and your thumbs up or whatever people do, you know, one of these or something. You don't just, like, you know, leave like that and think, well, it's okay because I could go to Pastor Bob's church. Well, let me tell you why Pastor Bob's lets those people come because Pastor Bob's no more of a disciple than I'm a man on the moon. Hello, somebody. Pastor Bob don't know nothing about discipling. That's why he accepts rebellious people into his church. Hello? Because Pastor Bob himself don't know anything about authority. And I'm not here to say much so praises for everybody. Thank God there's other churches. Amen. And if you ever want to go to another church, it's like I said, go in peace. Just, hey, I'm not feeling it. But those of you that are feeling it and you're like, hey, this is a good place for me. I'm getting discipled. Just follow Jesus. It's not hard. Amen. Would you stand with me to your feet? The last two points I'm going to let you stretch out for. We'll take announcements and offering at the end. Just go ahead and stretch out. You know, as a matter of fact, if I feel led of the Lord, I'll talk about these two other things next week. I would rather just pray right now. The other things were lack of the word and lack of sacrifice. I want to read that scripture in closing today. Just put it up there for us, uh, if you can, please, Brother Andrew. And those that can either look at it up here in your Bible. I just want to read this again. This is what God struck in my heart today and in this week. For it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard... For the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good.